that was when I really had to start turning to the mental side and working with people to get my mental side right. Welcome to Sauce Talk, a podcast exploring how sports and meditation and mental training relate to living a well-lived life. This is Billy Hansen. In the book Slow Getting Up, Nate Jackson writes about what it was like to go from a Division three college and eventually play six seasons in the NFL. And he really has a no-bullshit approach to his writing. He writes about all of the grimy, minute details about what life is actually like in the league. And his book really does serve to strip away a lot of the glorification that many of us have with reaching it to the highest level. So many of us were little kids who watched the NBA or the NFL or whatever sport we followed, and we had this picture of what it would be like to play in the league. It was one of wealth and fame and status and playing in big moments and admiration from friends and family and girls and it was just it was the dream and all of us looked at it as the dream and in Nate's book he really strips away a lot of that and gives you a a window into what it's really like so here's a quote from the book early next month I'm in San Jose California visiting my family I'm leaving my sister's house and my phone rings it's my agent Ryan Tallner hello Hi, Nate. Have you heard anything from the Broncos? No. They're releasing you today. No one called you? No. Wow. All right. We're going to find you another team. I hang up and drive. My Bronco life, like a stack of images being shuffled, flashes in front of my windshield. I always knew this moment would come, but there was no way to prepare for it. In the NFL, you are alive until you are dead. There is no in between and no way to put yourself on the other side mentally. You fight every day to keep your job by convincing yourself that you belong. And every day you return to work and see your name still posted above your locker as proof that you deserve that locker. Then one day, fate sneaks up behind you, taps you on the shoulder, and breaks your nose or blows out your knee. Then it's over. So that was just one example of the final time that he got cut after his turbulent career in the NFL that was filled with injuries and everything else. And reading his book was a great reminder to me of this kind of idealization that many of us have in many different areas of our our lives. I remember growing up being a young athlete and I had this overwhelming determination to get a scholarship. At first it was a division one scholarship. I wanted to play in the Pac-12 or I guess it was the Pac-10 at that time. I wanted to play on TV and because my athletic or because my identity was so intertwined with athletic success, I had this idea that if I didn't make it to the big time then, you know, why did I skip all of those parties? Why did I go to the gym so late with my dad and and shoot so many shots or take so many swings in the cages? It was as if all of that wouldn't matter if I didn't somehow have it pay off in the kind of status and um, validation of a big-time scholarship. And I spent very little time actually thinking about what college athletics would be like. So when I accepted a, a scholarship to play basketball and baseball at the division two level um you know i got my front page paper i got to wear my hat around campus and i was proud of of earning a scholarship and it really was a a a blessing that has since paid off in my life but i didn't think that i would go through paralyzing performance anxiety and depression and you know have a stint with alcoholism and all the rest it was a lot more it was a lot darker and a lot harder than i had ever envisioned and i think that the pure fun that I had playing with my best friends in high school is still some of the best times that I've ever had in sports. And I spent a lot of time in that era overlooking that. In psychology, there's a term called hedonic numbing or hedonic adaptation. And this is the phenomenon that psychologists have studied and long observed that you, that human beings adapt to their new circumstances much more quickly and much more readily than we anticipate. So we think that once we get the boy or girlfriend that we want, or we get married, or we get the promotion, or we you know, get our book published, or whatever the thing that we want is, we think that when that happens, that our well-being will 
increase drastically. And the same is true with negative things. We think that if um, you know we get fired or we don't get into the school we want to get into, or if we don't make the all-conference team, then our well-being will diminish. And we, we estimate our estimations of how much these external events will affect our well-being is reliably overstated, where we overestimate how much these things matter. And so what do we do about that is the question. And I'm still working to figure that out. But my my current opinion is that you don't want to stop pursuing goals. You don't want to stop you know, trying to make things better for yourself and others. But you also have to understand that if you aren't practicing being happy and content and grateful for what you already have, then no matter what you get, you won't enjoy it. I think um, on the last episode, Rachel McCann said, if you're nothing without the medal, you'll be nothing with it. And I think that's perfect advice for both athletes and people out in the world. And so today's interview is going to be with Tyrone Holmes. Tyrone is a rare example of, of an athlete who made it to the athletic promised land. Tyrone played four seasons in the NFL. And we walked through his background here on the podcast, so I'll save that. But I loved this conversation. We talked about his journey from being under-recruited out of a small high school to finding pure confidence in college and really exploding as a senior and hitting the NFL radar to again being overlooked and not invited to the combine, the experience of what it was like to be drafted on draft day with his family and how that was the culmination of so much hard work and how much how proud his family was. So it was really a beautiful it was beautiful the way that he described that. And then we talk about the difficulties in the NFL. And similar to what Nate Jackson describes in his book, it's not the glamour and glory that many of us imagine. And Tyrone has a great, he, um, he points out something great that many fans, when they think about being in the NFL, they picture being Tom Brady or uh, Peyton Manning or you know one of these, Patrick Mahomes, one of these total studs who will have a long, lucrative, and successful career. But for most people who make it to the league, it's not like that at all. And so Tyrone bounced between different teams and struggled with confidence issues and anxiety. And during, you know, through that adversity, he really grew mentally and spiritually. And he worked with mental skills coaches and he learned meditation and visualization. And so, yeah, we walked through, we walked through all of that on the podcast today. And then we talk about how that's relating to life after sports. If you like the podcast, you should consider subscribing to my newsletter, which is called Sunday Sauce. You can find it at billyhansen.net forward slash sauce, or click the link in the show notes wherever you're listening to this. And in that newsletter, I send out a quick chunk of content from my reading and research. So it's just a quick dose of something that I'm interested in that I think is worth looking at. So if you're interested, you can subscribe there. You can also support me by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. And without further delay, here is Tyrone Holmes. Okay, I'm here with Tyrone Holmes. Tyrone, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. So let's start with your time at Eagle Point. So you and I had kind of a friendly rivalry growing up in basketball. And you were a football star. I remember you ran track too, or did participated in track. But let's start with um, how was the recruiting process out of high school? Which schools were you considering, and what was the process like overall? Yeah, um, I mean, it was a rough, <laughs> it was a rough process. I mean, for I didn't have like the typical, I guess, NFL type recruitment coming out of high school. I mean, mm-hmm. you know as well as I do, coming from. A small town like this where not a lot of college coaches are coming out this way mm-hmm. it was uh, a little different you know uh, I was fortunate that there were coaches in my league that had good connections with co- college coaches so that's basically how I got scouted or found I guess it was just kind of lucky that you know coach hall out in Ashland and um, the coach up at Marist were putting in good words with me for college recruiters. So I was lucky in that sense, because otherwise it really is hard to get 
to get recruited from a, a small place like Southern Oregon. You know, the yeah. coaches come here and they're not really sure what the level of competition is. They, you know, if they recruit a kid from here, they're not really sure what they're going to get. So it is kind of tough. When I was uh, coming out, you know, my my first offer was my junior year and it was from Washington state. And I was like, dang, this is awesome. Okay. Now we're all going to start rolling in, you know, USC is going to be contacting me, UCLA. I'm like, yeah, Washington state. That's great. You know? Um, so I was kind of just like, you know, I thought I had had it all. And then that ended up being my only, my only PAC 12 offer, my only big, you know, school that ended up offering me mm. things kind of got down to the, you know, towards my senior year and I was playing and I'm like, wait, hold on. I'm not getting as much interest as I thought I was going to be, you know? Yeah. Uh, I ended up having an offer from, um, Portland state, Montana and, uh, Idaho. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of a crazy turn of events how it happened. Cause I, thought I still had an offer from Washington state. I called the coach. I'm like, Hey man, I'm like, you know, I'm ready to do this thing. I'm ready to commit. And then, you know, they're talking about how they actually decided to resend my scholarship offer and they didn't have a spot for me anymore. So that was tough for me to go through. Oh, wow. I'm, um, you know, when you're, when you're growing up down here, you know, you have these dreams that, you know, it's pac 12 or nothing, you know, well, that's how I was. Yeah. And, um, I think it was kind of crushing for me when that was taken away. And at the time, I only had Idaho and Portland State were my only offers, and I got scared and was thinking some something similar might happen with Portland State or something. So I committed to Portland State, and then leading up to signing day, I was just having really, really bad feelings about it. I was like, I don't know, I just don't think this is the right fit for me, hmm. and I was about to just um, go take a visit to Idaho and decommit. And um, at the last second, I want to say it was like a week before signing day, my college, my eventual college coach called me after a basketball game and uh, said that he had just seen my film, had never heard of me, and uh, they wanted to offer me and get me out on a visit. And I think it was just like meant to be because like I was like, it was like around the right, around the same time I had, I was having all these bad feelings about going to Portland State and then this opportunity to go to Montana came up. I took a visit out and it was just like the perfect fit for me. It was kind of, it was, it was tough to decommit and like go back on my word, but it was something just that, you know, I felt I had to do and was best for my future. And so I ended up, uh, that's how I ended up on Montana. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that about Washington state and then pulling the offer. That must've been tough. Um, when you, so when you left for Montana, how much of the NFL dream was still in your mind at that point? Were you, did you have your sights firmly set on the NFL? Was it in the back of your mind? Did you think it wasn't even an, an option? Where, where were you at with the NFL when you first left high school? Um, I don't, I don't think that it was uh, one of my main goals at the beginning or anything. I think I just going into college, I think I just really wanted to like legal, leave a legacy at Montana. And hmm. I just, my whole thing was just be uh be the best that you can be and be i wanted to be one of the best to ever go through montana hmm. um i think i i think it was in the back of my mind because i was not getting an offer from oregon state or the other pac-12 schools really put a chip on my shoulder so i was like okay yeah my hope was always that i wanted to compete against the best players in the nation and so when that opportunity to go play a Pac-12 level wasn't there for me anymore. I think I kind of set my sights on, okay, well, you can do this. You can go to the NFL to prove that you can play with the best of them. And so, you know, it was definitely in the back of my mind, but it wasn't my my main thing, no. Okay. And so just reviewing your college stats, it looked like you got gradually better throughout your college career, and then you kind of exploded as a senior where you were FCS Defensive Player of the Year with a na- nation best 18 sacks. At what point were you like, okay, wow, I, I might get drafted and I might actually have a shot to go to the NFL? Um, I mean, I knew talent-wise pretty early on in my like college career mm-hmm. because I mean, I I played a lot as a freshman. 
Um, I knew I had the ability. Yeah. My sophomore and junior year, I would say I had a lot of disruption, but I didn't have, I wasn't finishing at that. I don't, like I would get around the quarterback, but I wasn't taking him down. I was having a lot of pressures. I was mm. forcing him to other guys. Um, and honestly, I was just in my head so much that, and I put so much pressure on myself constantly. And I think that my performance really suffered from that. Mm. And so going into my senior year, you know, I was just like, screw it. This is, this is it. You have one, one more shot to do what you came to do here and to leave a legacy and you have the, I knew I had the ability to do it. It was just getting out of my own head kind of thing. Yeah. Not over, not overthinking things anymore and just kind of going out there and just giving it my best effort. Um, Cause what happened a lot was I would just get so focused in on all the little details of, I got to do this, I got to do this. And mm. it was causing me to play slow, you know, mm. or I'd be, thinking about this move that I had to do and then I'd get to the quarterback and I wouldn't, I just wouldn't tackle him, you know, I would, <laughs> so I, I mean, I can't tell you how many close almost sacks I, I this is the king of almost sacks throughout <laughs> year until, until my senior year. And so I knew, I, I knew physically I could do it. It was just a, a mental thing. And I, there was one night I was talking to my buddy who, um, he set the Montana sack record and he played opposite me for most of my career and he had a shot in the NFL and he was, we were just sitting there having a beer one night and he just is like, man, you're too good to not, to not do this. You, you just overthink things too much. And like, it was just that having that heart to heart in that yeah. moment. I was like, Dang. Okay. He's right. Like I can really do this. I think it was just like that moment. I can just remember so clearly, you know, him saying like, man, you're too fast, you're too athletic, you're too strong. Like, these guys literally can't block you. Yeah. And um, I think just hearing it from that perspective and being like, okay, dang, like, it really is just me, like, getting in my own way and I really can do this. And so, you know, that was going – it was always – it had slowly became the goal going to the NFL. Yeah. But going into my senior year, that was all, you know, that was all that was on my mind and mm-hmm. all I focused focus on was just – uh, having the best senior year possible. So nice. I want to drill down there a little bit. So that's really interesting. I don't have no idea what it's like to be, you know, to play high level football, especially be on the defensive line, but it sounds sort of similar to kind of like the flow state experience that you seek in basketball, where the less you're thinking, the better you're playing and you're kind of just letting it happen. And paradoxically, the more you kind of try to make it happen, like you said, the slower you play, the less rhythmic you play. And so when you made that turn, so you, you were able to play faster and more relaxed as a senior, did, did it just happen naturally? Was it, an, an, was it an intention that you set before games? Did you have any mental strategies at that point? I know we're going to dive deeper into the mental stuff uh, when we talk about your NFL career, but what can you describe any of that change and how you, how you were able to implement that as a senior? Yeah, I think it was a, it was a combination of things. Uh, I think obviously, you know, when you enter your senior year, there's like a there's a different sense of urgency. So I knew going into every game, I just tried to treat, treat it like my last because you only get so many in football. You only like, you only get twelve games. So mm-hmm. every single game, I was going in like, this is it. This is there's no next game to go get this sack. Like this is time to go. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it was just getting out of my way and trusting in my abilities and trusting that what I was going to do on the, what I had prepared for was going to take place on the field, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, it's a hundred percent mental, especially pass rushing. Cause it's kind of like you're a pitcher and you're out there throwing these, these moves. And a lot of times for a pass rusher, you have a good game if you can get to the quarterback one time, you know? Mm. So about all the rushes that you have throughout a game let's say you have 40 rushes and you're only getting there one out of those 40 it's it can get tough you know mentally but you just have to keep trusting in, in your abilities and the work that you put in the off season and um i think that's kind of where it came came through you know yeah. i just started believing in myself i wasn't so hard on myself when i 
when I didn't get a sack or when things didn't work out. And I think that was just the beginning of my mental, my mental journey (laughs) was, uh, by no means (laughs) anywhere close to where I needed to get to. But yeah, I was definitely a much improved version of where I was my sophomore and junior season. Okay. Nice. Um, and so let's talk about draft day. So what was your draft day experience like? Where were you and what were your expectations and um, how did that day go for you? So, yeah, cause, so I feel like I've kind of been like an underdog, like, you know, ever since this has been my mentality probably ever since like third grade when I first started, you know, I was always – you know, I wasn't the starter or whatever until later. Yeah. Um, and, you know, going through the draft process was no different. And I kind of loved it and hated it. Like, I was like, sure, why Why would things be different now? Hmm. You know, I didn't get an invite to the combine. I basically had to, like, beg to get in this to the East-West, All like, Shrine All-Star game. Hmm. And uh, I trained down in California. So, yeah, I didn't get that uh, that combine invite. So that was like another chip on my shoulder. Um, ended up doing well at my pro day. And going into the draft, I was, I mean, it, I was projected to go anywhere from like the fourth, the third or fourth round to like undrafted. So hmm. it you know, it's super up in the air. When you get there, you know, it, all it takes is one team to love you and to pick you up. Yeah. But at the same time, like I had been through the process before with friends and uh, I just knew how it worked that you never know how it's going to go. Hmm. So I was, I was expecting to be either a super late round or undrafted. Um, I watched the first two days with my family. We rented a place out in Ashland because we just kind of wanted to be away from everything and it was stressful and I didn't want to have like this big get together and then not get drafted and be all yeah crying or something. So yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we were just hanging out. Uh, I was probably a little bit on edge, probably not being too, too nice to everybody, but um, <laughs> we were playing, we were playing cards. I think when I finally got the call and, uh, it was it was an unreal unreal moment it was you know it's just the culmination of a lot of hard work you know yeah but also you know for my parents you know all the work that they put in taking me all these camps and everything and uh no it was it was super cool it was one of the one of the coolest moments i think i almost threw up (laughs) that's amazing but it's yeah it's just one of those crazy crazy moments that no one can ever take away from you Mm -hmm. at the same time like it it's weird because it's really just the beginning of a new chapter, you know. It's like you haven't, not, you've done all this work to kind of g- just give yourself a shot, and then you have to go. Now it's now it's time to go, to go do it. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's beautiful. Picturing you and your family getting that call, that's really cool. Um, yeah, unreal. So then, for, and I took down some notes here to w- run through your, uh, your NFL career. So correct me if I have anything wrong here, but so you got. You were dropped by Jacksonville and then pretty much immediately signed by Cleveland, right, for your rookie season. And then you yeah. played you played in 11 games as a rookie. Is that right? Yeah. So to just got to give me a window here or me and my listeners a window for how what it's like to suit up in the NFL. What was your first game like? Um, it was cool. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was really cool. I mean – you're not really prepared for the speed because like the speed is different than when you're playing in game. Like, so you have practice and then all of a sudden it ratchets it ratchets up when you have preseason. And then once you get to a regular season game, it goes up into even more. And, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I, my first, first couple snaps, I was going against another rookie but my job was easy because I think I was only being brought in on pass rush situations, mm. and uh, I knew it was a pass, and uh, it it was cool. I mean, at the end of the day, when you get out on the field, it's football. Um, it is a big game, but 
it's the same game that you've played since you were young and like once you've played in a big game it's hard for them to become bigger and for that feeling to be different you know mm. like the big games that i played at montana it's kind of it's that same feeling you know mm. uh, and when when you're out there on the field and you put your hand in the dirt it's the same is it's the exact same thing you know the guys that you're going against are bigger and stronger and faster but in terms of what you're doing it's it's very similar so I wouldn't say it was too much crazier. Or I would say it was crazier my first college game than my first NFL game, you know? Interesting. And do you, um, so when you first showed up to camp or your first sets of practices, did you feel comfortable, like you belonged on the team? Or did you have to, did you bring that chip on your shoulder to the first sets of practices? How did you feel just being on the roster and around NFL guys and like veterans and whatnot? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that part was, I think a mental battle throughout my career until probably the last year and a half mm. of me playing was just that that mental battle of do I re- really belong? I think everyone kind of goes through that like imposter syndrome, like yeah. oh dang, like they I slipped through here. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> that whole yeah. thing of like man, they're gonna find me out or something, you know? Yeah, because um, you know you watch you watch football and you want to be as confident as you can your whole life. But it is hard not to have those self doubt, those moments of self doubt. Like, do I really belong here? And I think that whole rookie year, that whole time was just really proving to myself that I did, that I could do this, that these guys weren't that much better. And it was just going to take me working harder and being more focused, more detailed. And, you know, I think everyone kind of goes through that transition period. I think some guys, happens a little quicker um but so much of football is mental and how much you believe in yourself and how much it's it's incredible you know you see guys that will really struggle with the team and then they'll get cut and they'll just have like that fresh start and they'll believe in themselves and all of a sudden they're a completely different guy so um for me it was definitely gradual and it was something that that was built you know over time yeah, I, that imposter syndrome is something that I still experience, even in like my, my data science job, or if I'm the teaching that I'm doing now. It's it's a, it's pervasive, and I can imagine that in the NFL when you're a rookie in the NFL, I can imagine that that must be amplified. And obviously, I experienced some of that too when I showed up to college as well. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a tough thing to get over, but it's obviously necessary if you're going to perform well. So. After your rookie season, you played in 11 games, and then it looked like you kind of went through the gauntlet the next year, waived, re-signed, waived, re-signed to the practice squad, and then promoted to the roster. What was that next kind of turbulent season like? Yeah, my second year was brutal, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, because you you just, I mean, I, I think anybody that's a competitor that wants to be successful, you know, you set high goals for yourself. My goal was to make the team that year and I was put on practice squad and then I was put made active and it was just a yo-yo of emotions you know every week I was up and down and being brought in taken off I ended up in Kansas City that year so it was just it was a roller coaster of emotions for sure you know I was playing a different position did they move to linebacker is that what happened well, my, I was playing linebacker my rookie year, and then oh, my right. second year I was playing like a true DN. So there was a lot of times where I was playing like a, um, a defensive tackle position versus taking on double teams, and huh. it was it was just a different uh, style of football than I had played. But it it was tough. But I think that's just like a part of being in the NFL. You have to adapt, and you're and that's the side that you know a lot of people don't see is that you know you think you just see tom brady and he's with the same team for 100 years and you kind of that's how most people are but in reality the bottom half of the roster is just constantly being churned over you know you have guys getting cut and picked up and practice squad and claimed and that's just the reality of the nfl and some guys deal with that mentally better than others and i think that was when i really had to start turning to the mental side and working with people to get my to get my mental side right if that makes sense okay nice we you and i've spoke off air a little bit about this but i want to dive into some of this stuff because it's fascinating 
So you, what, um, what led you to want to seek out help from what, what, whatever it was, a mental skills coach or a therapist or a psychologist? Do you remember what um, initiated that motivation in you? Um, yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate that when I was in Cleveland my rookie year, the guy who came in, he was like the optimal performance mental skills coach. His name was Justin Sua. And he was just really personable, really easy to talk to, very approachable. And I just remember I was having a really tough time just dealing with confidence, you know. Mm. Uh, I was just super down on myself. I was dreading going to practice because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to lose, you know, in, in playing D-line and pass rushing, you do these things called one-on-ones. And it's basically where you're going against an offensive lineman, just practicing pass rushes. You just get one shot at it and you're trying to get around them to get to the quarterback. Well, that's super stressful because they bring over the GM, the head coach is watching, everybody's out there. Mm. I think there was a, a period of time where I, I didn't win one for weeks on end, and I was just so, it gave me so much anxiety that I was just so down and depressed about everything. And I think that's when I finally was like, okay, I need, I need to develop some skills. I need to talk to somebody to learn how to manage the mental side of the game because doing it on my own right now is not not working out Hmm. yeah that's that sounds similar to some of what i had been going through in my early on in my college basketball career i know the feeling of just absolutely fucking dreading going to practice and feeling you know having no confidence left and how that just bleeds in every area of your life so what kind of stuff did you work on with the mental skills coach? Were you meditating, visualizing? What what kind of stuff were you doing? Yeah, it was um it was kind of the culmination of a lot of things. You know, I'd go in and talk to him, he'd try to give he'd give me a skill and I'd go do it and maybe it didn't work or it did and like we would just try a lot of different things. One of them was just having like a, a mental reset after every play. So I would have a play and you know, I would uh, just reset. I would, I would, <laughs> I would, uh, sorry for my language, but I'd just say, you know, you're the baddest motherfucker on the field between every play, no matter what. I would just tap myself on the leg and I would, I would say that to myself. So hmm. um, just, just starting to build skills to just reset, to stay focused in the moment. I think a lot, a big part of it was just being in the moment because, you know, I would have a bad play and then I'd start thinking, well, okay, the, get, the GM just saw that. They're probably all up there in their meeting thinking about cutting me mm. or trying to find another guy or like, you know, and then I would just go home and I'd be thinking, dang, they, they really don't like me. The coaches don't like me. They're probably, I'm going to go in tomorrow and they're going to be having another guy in my seat or something like, you know, all these thoughts are always... Yeah. flowing through your mind and um yeah and then that's kind of like when i started going through and he gave me some tools with meditation it was just like the very beginning of that though and um mm. just trying to deal with some of the anxiety and stress that i was feeling and it was all the nfl stressful but it was all being put on by myself if that makes sense yeah, yeah. Well, I certainly have experienced that too, and that's some of the stuff that I'm working with with the current players that I work with now is it's so easy to get wrapped up in the stories that you tell yourself and projecting your own doubts onto coaches and teammates and kind of feeling the eyes on you as you're on the field, you're on the court, and I had that to the 10th degree when I was playing for a while too. And yeah, as we as we mentioned before, that kind of mindset is the exact opposite of what it seems like you found as a senior in college where, like you said, when you kind of can quiet the mind and think a little bit less, that's when the kind of innate skill set and confidence can really come out as a player. And so, yeah, it's a, it seems like it's a very, it's a skill set that I don't know if you have this experience, but when I started mentally training midway through my college basketball career, it was like this whole landscape of skills that I had just sort of paid, paid lip service to. Um, I'd spent my entire life training my skill set and my body and my endurance and my 
you know, the, studying the strategic sides of sports, but I, you know, it became evident when I hit this certain level of competition or stress that I was just wildly unprepared mentally. And I think most people are, and I, I you know, I've, I've spent some time with you, I think kind of thoughtful, introspective people who are athletes tend to be more kind of at risk uh, in this way than than other athletes. I remember envying teammates in college who could just be like, you know, fuck the coach, like, oh, you know, like just kind of listen to music loud and then co-seemingly have confidence where for me I was always kind of battling it. So um, that's great that you started working on that stuff. And so did you you mentioned when we spoke on the phone that you saw a number of, did you see other mental skills coaches with other teams? When did you, how did you deepen your practice as you went along? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, so I was with Cleveland for about two years Mm -hmm. and during that time I worked with the mental skills coach there and it wasn't, it wasn't like a smooth road. I'll put it that way. As far as it wasn't like I went and talked to him and then I was like, Oh dang, everything's opened up now and I can write so much confidence now and I'm ready to go. Yeah. It was definitely a roller coaster, you know. There were some days where I was like, wow, this is really working and then, you know, I would have a bad play or a couple practices and I'd be knocked down again or I would go through like a funk again or a different period of time where I wasn't playing well, I didn't have confidence. Um, this is you know, over the course of years of trying to develop that mental toughness and that belief in myself. Um, so yeah, I worked with Justin when I was in Cleveland and when I actually got to the AAF, I was playing, I was playing fine. I wasn't playing as well as I wanted to. Mm. And and I kind of got depressed from that. I had a couple games and I remember after the games, I was just so distraught you know I was just so upset and this is years after like doing mental skills training and talking with people and I was still this depressed after a game you know still this upset with how I played and in turn how I felt about my self-worth and um, that's when I went and saw a sports psychologist her name was Julie out in San Antonio Mm. and that was I think when it when it got a lot more serious for me mm. because it was um, I was taking it now more from a clinical side of like okay how is sports affecting your self worth in your like how you how you live your life how are you value valuing yourself and it's so easy to talk about you know people say don't put your self worth in sports but like whenever that's how you're being praised your whole life, you know, from the time you're a little kid, you're getting all this praise, like, oh, good job, good game last night, all this stuff, and that's how you're being fed, Yeah. and that all of a sudden you're not playing well, and that's being taken away from you, it's really hard to cope with, and yeah. you feel like now, all of a sudden, now you aren't worth anything, you aren't valuable, and so I think it was really big for me when I actually started diving deep with Dr. Julie, on, on some of those things and um, yeah just kind of getting more behind the reasons why I thought certain ways or like a lot of it's just perspective because you're telling yourself these stories that aren't even true you know or you, you start making up these scenarios or you know maybe a coach will look at you weird or maybe he'll have you go last in a drill or something and you can just like build this whole theoretical fake story around it that has no no merit to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, all, and now that that's affecting your play when it really shouldn't, you know? Yeah. Were you doing similar exercises uh, with Julie as you were with your skills coach with the Browns? Or was it, I'm just interested in if you were doing, along with speaking about your self-worth and identity, were there any meditation was there any meditation or visualization or anything else that you were implementing when you worked with her yeah so i did do i was always pretty big on visualization but it got bigger kind of the longer i played and Mm -hmm. 
yeah, as far as visualization, just picturing myself doing exactly what I wanted to do on the field, just trying to get as much detail as possible, you know, what the field was going to feel like under my feet, what the sounds were going to be like, what it was going to smell like, um, going through every single phase of like, let's say a pass rush and then picturing how he's going to set the different ways he can set the different ways I can possibly beat this guy, how it's going to feel on my body going through all these things so that whenever I did get on the field, it wasn't new. I started a lot doing a lot more of the, (laughs) the positive self-talk. So I kind of realized how much you're talking to yourself without even realizing it mm-hmm. constantly, you know, whether you're playing sports or not. And so I realized that I just had to start talking out loud to myself while I was playing. So I picked that up and it was just constantly just positive, positive stuff just about how good I was. I was going to destroy the guy across from me, how he couldn't block me, all this stuff. And it's crazy because your mind really doesn't know the difference between it doesn't can't differentiate. So yeah, that was that was really big. Just hearing that, especially when you're not getting it from a coach. Yeah, yeah. Telling, and all of a sudden now you have to be that for yourself. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned this before, but it might be especially tough when you when you grew up in the area that you grew up in and you were such a star throughout all the way through high school and then you killed again in college you you got a lot of that external praise and I remember getting that too until all of a sudden I wasn't (laughs) and and then you realize you were kind of relying on it so when did you know it was time to hang up the cleats what was that process like and what helped you make up your mind um it's kind of complicated but it was kind of kind of happened on its own uh I was with I was with Miami and uh, honestly, I was just having a really rough camp. Like my heart wasn't in it. It was just really, really tough for me. I loved competing and I loved beating people, but I wasn't, I don't know if I was still in love with football anymore. Mm. And it's really, really, really hard to play football when you aren't 100% in love with it. Yeah. Because it takes so much of everything that you are. So when I didn't make the team, I you know I was disappointed because I put it in a lot of effort, but I was also excited to move on to the next phase. And for me, I had worked so much mentally that I knew I have so much to so much more to offer than football to the world. And so I think it was, you know, I was sad that that chapter was over, but I also knew it was time to explore something else and to give the same effort that I gave to football to something else, you know, it kind of felt good that, you know, knowing I had went down the path, I had went and done the AAF, I had went and gone to another camp, I had given it everything I had, and I had come, kind of just come to the end of the road as far as that was. When I wasn't picked up by another team, it was just time, time to move on, you know? Right. Nice segue, actually, into my next question. You said that you were excited because you knew you had a lot more to offer to the world. And that's, I think, relates to sports and identity in that we, you and I both seem to, whether by happenstance or on purpose, we kind of, you know, athletic success became a big part of our identity. And then for me, I struggled really bad beginning in my college career and I said this on a recent podcast, I think, but it, I think it's the best analogy that I have. It's like, it felt like I had been dumping all of my money into one stock. And then when that stock crashed, I had nothing left. And all of a sudden I had to kind of reinvent myself. And so I started taking my classes seriously. I started, um, I learned to meditate. I, you know, just became almost out of necessity. I became interested in other things outside of basketball and sports. And that was kind of a freeing feeling because when, when my athletic career ended, I had a similar feeling. It was like, okay, this is really sad and you know, it's going to be tough, but I also have so much, I'm so excited to explore other parts of life. And unfortunately, I think that, you know, paradoxically, some of my teammates who didn't have that tough experience, they left their sports and their, 
and they're almost still stuck in the nostalgia of the glory days in some ways. And they, it, it's odd in that players who don't have as much adversity when their career ends, they may even have, and this, I don't have any data on this, but it's just a like anecdotal observation that it might even be harder to transition out of sports. So oh, what do you think, what do you think we could have done differently to not get so wrapped up in, in athletic success growing up? Do you think it would have even been possible? Like if there were, if you had, if you were going to talk to yourself in high school again, do you think you'd be able to tell him anything? Like, in what ways do you think we got trapped in that identity of athletic success? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's super super layered. I think it's it's part of a part of it is who we are, but I think also part of it is societal and what people value. Mm-hmm. In our society, I mean, you look how much money is dumped into college basketball, high school basketball, football, all these sports, and we're told our whole lives like this is what matters. This is this is what gives you value. You watch all the movies. The, the high school jock is the the cool guy with all the girls, and yeah. you know we're fed. We are fed. Like this is what brings you value, and so part of it is that. I think part of it is that's what we were doing and we were good at it and that's how we were always getting that praise and that's how it felt good you know it feels good when people are telling you you're doing something well and so why why not keep going back to that to that source of of uh feeling good you know yeah um and i'd like to say that there were i don't think there's anything i I could tell myself, but I'm not sure how much I would have taken it because I had these talks at the beginning of my professional career and I wanted to do it, but it was so hard. It's so hard to say, okay, now I'm not going to, yeah, that wasn't an, such an aha moment for me as it was for you. Like I remember talking to a sports psychologist on the phone and he's like, man, you got to uh, diversify. You got to find your value in some other things. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, how do I do that? I'm a professional football player. I'm dedicating 18 hours a day to football. I'm staying up till 2 a.m. in the morning watching film. I don't have time. I don't have like emotional. I didn't feel like I had the emotional tank to give to other things. And so for me, it was all football for a long time. Yeah until I realized how unhealthy that was, you know, until I really came to grips with, okay, like you can do other things. Like you are, you can offer things to people outside of football. Like you have value, you're talented at these other things. And I think that was really the turning point. Once I started really like, you know, reading different types of books and being interested in other things like traveling or whatever, I think that's really when it started to turn 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 the page for me. Nice, nice. And did you have any concerns about the new data coming out about brain injuries? Did that play into your decision at all? Um, honestly, no. I had concerns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always had concerns, but I never looked into it, as mm-hmm. dumb as that sounds, because I, I knew that me reading about it wasn't going to impact my decision to play or not. Yeah, I just knew that if the more I knew, it was just going to give me more anxiety. I knew that personally the money that was at stake playing football was just too much to pass up that I wasn't going to walk away from it. Yeah. And so I, for me, I it was always something that I was like, okay, I can look at this when I'm done playing, but you have this opportunity that you worked for your whole life. Mm-hmm. And it, the game of football has given you so much that like yeah and it's so dumb because it's so it i mean i'm sure i haven't even i still have yet to look at the research done on the effects on the brain but i don't think it takes a rocket scientist to know that it's not good to slam your head in the fast (laughs) but it's totally understandable that you i i don't think there's a lot of young men who would say oh like you know i've got this nfl dream on the table but i'm not you know i'm not gonna do it and a lot of people do come out fine so um yeah, I was just curious if that was in running in the background. Yeah, I mean, it was de- always there, but it never played into whether I was playing or not. You know, I think it's just kind of one of those things that people kind of worry about. That's like, 
dang, this is something I'm uh, probably going to have to deal with. But mm-hmm. um, me personally, it wasn't wasn't too much. Yeah. And so now you looks like you're you're do- doing what you said you were going to do when you retired. I was just from a distance following. It looked like you had a really cool trip to um, Southeast Asia. What kind of stuff are you doing now to find some of the passion and um, excitement outside of sports? Is there what what excites you these days about being out of football? Other than we're currently in what like a month into the Corona lockdown, so uh, assuming things get normal again soon. <laughs> yeah, no, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Um, it's exciting. Like that, I think that's how I'd put it. It's really exciting because I think for my whole life. I was kind of on like a track where I didn't feel like I had very many choices. You know, I chose where I went to college, but I was going to college to play football. You know, I, um, I felt like for a long time, my choices weren't really my choices. It was just kind of like I was on this path and I was doing these things as well as I could. Mm -hmm. And that was taking me further and further down the path, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of playing football and, and then when I retired and I announced like, hey, I'm done, it was just like this huge weight off my shoulders and this huge like freeing moment that I was like, whoa, holy shit, like I can I can do whatever I want now. You know? <laughs> yeah. Not gonna get screamed at by anyone tomorrow if I don't if I show up yeah, late. <laughs> yeah. Realistically, not a whole lot of people are just gonna walk away from the opportunity to play in the NFL, you know, when it's there you're going to chase it. And for me, it was just kind of my mentality that like, I'm doing this, I'm going to be the best at this. So for me, I, I went down that road as long as I could. Yeah. And I knew I didn't want to have any regrets from walking away from it. So when it finally came to an end, it was freeing, but also scary because it's something that I did put in so much time and so much of my identity into that now, honestly, it's just, figuring those types of things out like what do i really like to do like what how what am i passionate about what what kind of things am i interested in and honestly i hadn't put a whole lot of time thinking about those things while i was playing because it's so hard to to split your time and your emotions while you're playing it takes everything every part of you personally i felt like i needed to do that to make a team, you know? Yeah. So I didn't put a whole lot of time into thinking about, all right, well, what do you actually want to do when you're done? So now, now it's cool because I have this time and well, right now the world's shut down. So I have a lot of time. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I just really just been thinking about that kind of stuff. I mean, I love traveling. So I went and backpacked for a couple months. I was playing, um, being gone for a couple more months, but, uh, yeah, just kind of trying to figure it out. Honestly, I love um, I love traveling. I love food. I love cooking. I love I love meditation. I love learning about spirituality and uh, the mental side of everything. You know. Nice. Have you uh, been reading any books on meditation or spirituality? Um, yeah, I have. Uh, I was reading a book on mindfulness all through camp. Can't remember the author. And, and, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I watched like videos on the, you know, Eckhart Tolle and nice stuff, just like just trying to educate myself as much as possible. I wish I would have been more involved with it while I was playing. Mm. Cause now, you know, I kind of see more of the benefits now even being done yeah. than I did while I was playing, you know? Yeah. But there's the, yeah, plenty of life adversities and ups and downs to come and it'll, it'll matter a lot then too. So I think practicing now, studying it now is, is, is really great too. But yeah, I, I have a similar feeling that I feel like, cause I, I finished with a great senior season after covering and I was meditating a lot that year and really taking it seriously. And it almost felt like I had just kind of figured out what it means to connect with basketball, like right when it was ending. <laughs> and, now, and now I'm a city league warrior, but it's not the same. One more, I, I put down a little note here to come back to, back to it because I didn't want to derail us in the middle of your NFL path. But just for those of us who have no idea what it's like to rush the passer, I have a couple questions. So what when you're like lined up against your man, 
how much of what you're going to do is pre-planned and how much of it is just a reaction to how they move? Do you have like, remember watching guys like Dwight Freeney doing their like spin moves and stuff and it was kind of cool, but I kind of relate it to, and this might be a bad analogy or, um, this might be a bad analogy, but it could be close. Like if I'm coming down on a fast break, I didn't often have like, I'm going to do like in and out crossover here. It was kind of just reaction or like letting it happen. So what was that like when you're preparing to rush the passer? Did you set an intention? Oh, I'm going to try this move this time. Or was it just letting yourself flow or was it, you know, did you try both of those things? Yeah, no, I had, uh, so like pass rushing and football, you had, you encounter like over my time playing football, I had so many different coaches some of them said you have to have a plan. You need to know exactly what you're going to do before you rush. Some of them were it's all a reaction. Mm. You have the whole spectrum there. I think I ended up being more of a guy that had a plan, but if it was taken away, I would try to counter. Mm. So I had an initial plan, and then if it was immediately taken away, then I would counter, um, and that was more of a reaction. So it was kind of a mix. But um, at the NFL level, you scout so much mm. that you know, kind you you kind of know the mental side of the guy that you're playing against, mm. in terms of how he normally sets, where he's going to be. So you kind of you you develop a pat what they call a pass rush plan throughout the week. Of mm. uh, this is his normal set. This is how he's probably going to set on you. This is where his hands are going to be. This is the types of moves that work best on him. Wow, that's deep. Then you try to execute your plan, and then, yeah, it's such a mental game. It's just like pitching, you know, or whatever. As soon as he oversets, then all of a sudden you're using your counter moves. Or and no doubt he has a scout on you too, so it's kind of like a chess match. It sounds like. A hundred percent. Yeah, half the you know a, a lot of the really good guys, you know, they'll spend the whole game just trying to set up one move, or they'll. They'll just keep going speed so that eventually they can get them off balance so they can hit them with the power. Or mm. a lot of it is is mental. I would say for the most part, you know what you want to do because if you get up there without a plan, you're just gonna get get rocked. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. A couple times, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like a fine line of reacting versus having a plan. I would Interesting. Say. And who is the most impressive player you played with like on any of your teams? And you can take that in terms of attitude or talent or just who he is. Like who, who are you most impressed by in your time in the NFL? I was probably most impressed by Joe Thomas. He, uh, I don't, do, you, uh, do you know the name? I don't know. No. He's an O-lineman, definitely going to be like a first ballot Hall of Famer. Mm. Um, I think he was a... He was all pro like his first ten seasons, mm. and just the way just watching him and how he approached the game and how he worked was just super super impressive. I think he set the record for like most consecutive snaps in the NFL without missing any. Mm. Um, just how he took care of how he took care of his body. He was in the weight room every day doing all these banded stretches and. Um, like prehab rehab type stuff his attention to detail on with his technique was pretty unmatched in terms of guys i either played against or saw Mm. so i think just a culmination of everything that he did was like okay dang that's what i need to do that is what being a professional is all about that's how you have to approach it what you put in your body how you approach it mentally you know one time he talked about his visualization process before games and what he did and i was just so blown away by how detailed he was in everything that he did wow that's awesome that's that's really cool is he still in the league uh he just retired he does um i think he does monday night football now he does like commentary okay well good man um that's all i got man thank you for for doing this really great getting you on the podcast i think this is gonna be a cool episode so thank you and uh, I wish you the best with the Corona stuff and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, too, we'll be in touch about our future endeavors. Sure. Appreciate you having me on here and uh, yeah, we'll have to keep in touch. Sounds good, man. Take care. You too. 
If you'd like to support the podcast, please consider subscribing to my newsletter, Sunday Sauce. Every Sunday, I'll send out a small piece of content that's related to the topics I'm researching and exploring on this podcast. It could be a quote or an image or a short video or a piece of my own writing. Just something small and digestible that I think is worth looking at. I'll also announce when new content comes out, so it's really the best way to stay up to date with what I'm doing. To subscribe, you can visit billyhanson.net forward slash sauce. You can also follow me on Instagram or Twitter, and those links are in the show notes. Other ways to support the show include leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, sharing with friends and family, or posting on social media. Thank you for listening and for your support. It's a sauce.